And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance. Hello, everyone. Well, gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you here in the studio with us again. You know, last week we did a show on the ascension of Jesus Christ. And uh, on the Christian calendar, coming up tomorrow is the day of Pentecost. And so uh, one of you fellows suggested that we talk about this. It's a wonderful time in the church year, and it's a wonderful time for us to reflect back on what God did for us. And I'm wondering if one of you fellows can explain what this is all about. Pentecost uh, is a Greek word. It actually means 50 days, though it uh, its occurrence was actually 49 days after the resurrection. And uh, it was um, the 50th day, the, the ascension took place on the 40th day after the resurrection. So Pentecost is a, is a great celebration. It's, it, it's in the Old Testament, of course, Shavuot. And it means Feast of Weeks. And it was celebrated by the Jewish people and later... Uh, particularly during the intertestamental period, uh, it was associated with the receiving of the law on Mount Sinai under Moses, and it continues in uh, Jewish circles today. They associate it with the receiving of the law on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Is um, is it um, synonymous with the so-called birth of the New Testament church? Well, that is some question, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it is a question. <laughs> in our circles. <laughs> yeah. It, well, of course, we look at the church as the whole people of God at all times and all places. But, yes. you know, so we could uh, do that. But in terms of the modern uh, church post uh, the resurrection, yes, that's that would mm-hmm. be associated in many ways with the beginning uh, in that way. Well, uh, let's put it this way. It is, in some sense, the birth of the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we use the word church to include the people of God of all ages, which we find the congregation of Israel in the Old Testament, no. But it it is the, a great celebration and a new beginning because Gentiles were invited into yeah. – the scriptures talk about the grafting in. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, that's clear that these evangelists went forth and – uh, uh, numbers of uh, of uh, Gentile converts, if you will, from the nations were included in the covenant as Christians saw it. It was for the whole world. Yes. Yeah. Imagine how the um, Jewish people felt in those days. Um, sometimes I think about that. Um, here was a new group of people uh, claiming what we would call covenant relationship mm-hmm. with Jehovah God uh, through Jesus Christ. Um God had clearly communicated that the Jews were his chosen people, the apple of his eye, all of that. And so um, something very powerful, it seems, was needed to convince the Jewish emotion and mind that indeed this was genuine, that something was really taking place. And that's why we have the uh, the coming of the rushing wind and the uh, tongues hmm. of fire and the preaching of Peter and the preaching that was in different languages because at Pentecost you would have had the people coming in from what we call the diaspora, the, the mm-hmm. other, other parts of the Greek world. And so you would have many people speaking many other languages who had gathered together here. And now the question is, when Peter's preaching and they're hearing this in their own tongue – 
Is it in the hearing or is it in the preaching? <laughs> uh, it, that, that is a great uh, – I'm trying to think of the New Testament scholar who died some years ago who always insisted that it was a miracle of hearing on the day of Pentecost. They, right. Each one heard – if Peter preached in Hebrew, each one heard what he preached clearly mm-hmm. in their own language. So it's a it's it, but that's a debatable point. We could sure uh, one thing that's not debatable. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. <laughs> that's for sure. Now and there it, was uh, there was a good um, good deal of concern back as we read the Gospel of John. Jesus was explaining to his disciples some of the things that would be coming upon him, and I, I'm going to quote this portion now. And he, it's this is from John 16. He says, "But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart." Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Receiving of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, uh, the Godhead, if you will, uh, some will argue the Father through the Son, and some will argue just through the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit comes. That's a little debate there. It's important Mm -hmm. in Eastern Western Christianity. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless... What is important is that the Holy Spirit is sent. The third person of the Trinity comes right. to abide permanently. Now, he was always present in the Old Testament. I was just going to ask you, what is the difference Well, they had uh, – here. I, I think one of – you know, the reality is one thing, the experience is the other. The Holy Spirit mm. was there, but they only experienced him, as David did, when he, when he sinned and, right. and he quenched the Spirit. He said, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, but their experience was that the Spirit comes and goes in his power. Right. But in the New Testament, it's important to know that the power of God through the Spirit is always abiding with us. So that's the that's a distinction. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's important. So the Holy Spirit's presence is there all the time in the Christian's life. And another point is that this is not to be sharply. The Holy Spirit's work is carrying out the work of Jesus, and sometimes you will see the apostle, at least in one place I can think of, talk about the Holy Spirit and the next breath, the Spirit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So they are not separable. And, you know, another thing comes to my mind. Uh, Romans 8, 9. Um, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so the Holy Spirit indwells a Christian. That is the natural, uh, normal case. It's not something um, that only a few Christians have. Correct me if I'm wrong That's there. absolutely right. Uh, in fact, you can't come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit leads you. Right. And that's uh, that's the main point. You know, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not even going to come to Christ. Mm-hmm. If you, let's put it this way. For some out there who are confused theologically, there's some out there who believe that you receive Christ, and then later on you receive the Holy Spirit. They call the first if you will, becoming saved or a Christian, and the second, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. But let me say that if you receive Christ, Mm -hmm. you receive the Holy Spirit. If you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not a a divisible uh, division that you can make theologically, Mm -hmm. because Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. himself bore the Spirit entirely. He is the Spirit bearer, and when you receive him, you receive the Spirit. Without with the same measure yeah. that he gives. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate your uh, tone of sharing that. Uh, we're not trying to be critical no, of others not in at this all. discussion not at all. today. Um, probably at least two in this room, two out of three, um, our experience in terms of what we grew up with was coming from 
either a Wesleyan or a Methodist background or with some Pentecostal influence. So um, we're, we're, we want to be extremely kind towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord as we talk about um, Oh, I've missed so many good Pentecostal Brothers Assemblies of God, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, when, we, when we meet them in heaven, I'm sure they'll be closer to the throne than... Yes. than many of this, those of the straighter sect. So that's, a, that's a good point. Now, God's, um, God's frozen chosen, huh? <laughs> yeah. Now, we need to take a break. Um, when we come back, we will continue talking about this important topic of Pentecost. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Dietrich and Dr. John Vance. Our discussion is on Pentecost. Let me ask you this, um, Dr. Vance. Um, The Holy Spirit, with reference to the church, help us to understand the relationship there. On the day of Pentecost, uh, the church was gathered and the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. And uh, there is a corporate giving of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. There are also examples in the New Testament where there are individual uh, individuals receive the Holy Spirit. They're participating in, in Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, particularly in our background, our evangelical backgrounds, we have people who interpret things through American individualism entirely. Right. Well, it is true that you can't be saved without the Spirit. You must have the Spirit. 
If you do not have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. On the other hand, the individual must realize that they do not experience the gifts and talents of others that the Spirit gives unless they're participating in the corporate aspect of this. Mm, And um, uh, in some ways, we are uh, impoverished when we think that we have the full measure of the Spirit and that's it. Uh, we, we must participate in the gifts and callings of others who have also received the Spirit to appreciate, if you will, the church or corporate side of the giving of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we look at the New Testament, we basically have three, I, w- I would suggest there are basically three listings of the Holy Spirit's gifts. Uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, you see the gifts are of apostles, prophets, apostles, um, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. Mm. You know, those are the, the you, you're looking at church offices right there. Yeah, yeah, and that you see that when you look at the uh, gifts in First Corinthians twelve, and then in Romans twelve, you see more the the individual type of gifts. Mm-hmm. But again, even in First Corinthians twelve, the whole idea is those gifts are given in context of the body. That's true. And even yes. before Pentecost, what are they doing the very last thing before Pentecost? They're electing church officers. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. They're, and they're dealing with the apostolic calling, uh, yeah. band, if you will, here. And uh, and uh, and then they go into the church. So they envision this not so much individualistic, uh, yeah, right. though the Spirit is given individualistic, but they're concerned about the work and ministry of the church as it is guided and directed and filled right. by the Holy Spirit. And even there, you see it in uh, Acts 15, when you start having some conflict, especially with the Gentiles coming into the church. What do they do? They call a council. Mm-hmm. They call a council. Now, a recurring theme that I've read about in the scriptures is is the concern that God has towards unity in his body. And so it seems to me, as he gives uh, gifts to uh, his church, it's to draw the church together rather than separate. Yeah, and what you see, the interesting thing of Pentecost is it's a kind of undoing of the Tower of Babel. Oh, I like that. And you see the languages have torn, separated us. That's what God yeah. says. That was God's power. judgment. Yeah, and and now yes. suddenly at the Pentecost, you have all these languages being uh, spoken, yes, but what does it do? It brings them back together in one church. Yeah. The one spirit. Yeah. There's one Lord, one church, one oh, baptism yeah. in Ephesians. Yeah. There's only one spirit. That's right. Mm. And there's only one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. only one mediator between heaven and mm-hmm. earth. So when we begin to see yeah. the New Testament conception of the church, we're incorporated by the spirit into that body. Yeah. We're, if you will, baptized yeah. uh, into the body of Christ uh, spiritually and with water. And then we, we uh, in some sense... Uh, must realize, or as it says in my circles, we must study the purity and peace of the church and yes. realize that unity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It seems also that um, some of these gifts that God gives, uh, particularly the apostle, um, is uh, very foundational. Um, I'm reading a portion here from Second Corinthians twelve twelve. It says, "Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds." And uh, associated with these apostles, I think, was, was someone who was authorized to write Scripture. Absolutely. And that's what you you see there. Um, the apostles were the ones who gave us the Scriptures. If we look at the New Testament, it's all apostolic. Now, you can say a person like Luke, well, he wasn't necessarily an apostle. 
Luke's writings were all gathered from them. If you look at mm-hmm. Luke in Acts, what does he do? I have researched all these things. I've spoken with all these these people and gathered together all of these things. Um, Mark probably got most of his information from Peter, who who walked with the Lord, and of course Paul uh, was one born. He was an apostle born out of due time when God called him. And Luke was his close missions. colleague of many missionaries. That's right. Mm-hmm. And Luke was very close, and so you see how. Uh, God has used these apostles, uh, if mm-hmm. you will, and then of course you have uh, James and Jude, which were the brothers of Jesus Christ. The church is um, a work of the Spirit in the uh, Apostles' Creed, which is not written by the apostles, of course, mm-hmm. but a creed that summarizes the teaching of Scripture. It's Trinitarian. You have mm. the first part about the Father, the second uh, paragraph is about the Son, and the third is about the Holy Spirit. And under the Holy Spirit, you have the statements about the church. So in a real sense, the, the, the New Testament church is, if you will, a spirit-gathered community. Mm-hmm. And through the Spirit, he bestows gifts uh, and, and a message. We only have one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the ordinances, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, we have discipline. We have many things that God has bestowed upon us. And we share in each other's gifts, like hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the various gifts. Let me say, though, uh, the Spirit also gives fruit. Mm. We must make a distinction between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That's a good point. Not all of us will have the gifts in equal measure, mm-hmm. or not even all the same gifts. No. But all of us are under, if you will, uh, as disciples of the Lord, are under the command to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our Amen. individual lives. That, Amen. That is one of the things that's very important because you see in the Scriptures, for example, the Corinthian church. Apparently, the Corinthian church was one that had a, a lot of, of expression of certain gifts of the Spirit. And yet, at the end of the day, what does Paul say? I cannot write to you is spiritual, but is carnal because of the mm-hmm. way you live. And although they may have been manifesting the gifts of the Spirit, they apparently were not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, such mm-hmm. as we see in Galatians 5. Mm-hmm. Not when they were gathering together in their own homes and serving communion, if we were the Lord's Supper, and some of them were getting drunk. That's I don't true. think that's... No, that's <laughs> I don't think so. No, it, it was. No. And, and, and there was backbiting, and, and, you know, they were... Especially they were dividing each other, and I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and good grief, Paul and Apollos, when they heard that, they thought... we. It's know, the they must have thought, well, when did we ever get into a fight with each other that we, we, we have special factions? We, we're all followers of Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. I'm just struck now, again, by this great commission that, that God gives mm-hmm. us through Jesus before he ascends into heaven. And um, when he um, says this in Matthew 28, it's recorded. I'm also impressed with the fact that he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords Mm. speaking here. And as he uh, ascends, like we talked about last week, um, he, he he takes up that throne. I have no idea what it physically looks like. It's spiritual, I, you know, but that's how it's described. It's a throne. And, and one of the writers uh, said this um, about Jesus. Uh, he says his first regal act was to disperse gifts among his people. This is what a king does upon his coronation. I kind of like that. Mm. <laughs> and, and I see these gifts. I think the Bible would have us see that these gifts are for a purpose. They're not for self-adulation. 
They're not to make us look good or not to make us be respected among um, the broadcasters on TV as we do bizarre things. No, that's not it at all. It's this, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here's this empowerment uh, and it doesn't happen unless Jesus ascends to heaven, and then he gives this these the gift of his Holy Spirit, the helper, or sometimes he is called the comforter, and, and he comes alongside and he helps us do God's bidding. That's right. In Acts first chapter, Jesus, just before he left, he said, told me, he said, the Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem yeah. and uh, Judea, and then in Samaria, those pesky Samaritans, and then (laughs) Mm -hmm. to the uttermost parts of the world. Yeah. In the Gospel of John all the way through, in some ways, this is the Gospel of John is the Gospel of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the way through, you can see it, uh, that that, that Jesus is talking about the Spirit. He promises the Spirit, for instance, Mm -hmm. in chapter 14. Yep. Uh, In chapter 15 at the end, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit and and, uh, so forth. And then in one place when he tells them that, that they will do mighty works in his name, and forgive sins and so forth, uh, he breathed on them and says, receive mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. indicating that uh, that's called a proleptic passage. They, they say, how can we do these things? Well, he's telling them through the Spirit, and on the day of Pentecost, that is fulfilled. Yes. And they do receive the Spirit to go forth and carry out this, this awesome, if you will, I hate that word in one sense, <laughs> awesome task of yeah. carrying out the Great Commission. It is an awesome but task. But it can so. be overwhelming. Yes. But remember, it's not by my uh, might or power. It's by yes. my spirit. Thus yes. saith the Lord. And that's right. And boy, you saw that with Peter standing up there preaching. Oh, yes. And what a sermon he preached. And he, he just, you know, I mean, from that point on, you know, did Peter do some things wrong? Yeah, he did. You know, and we see Paul talking about some of the things where he got out of line in Galatians. But Boy, you see a guy who just stood up there who, you know, just a few weeks earlier had denied Jesus, was scared stiff at the servant girl who was, you know, accusing him of being one of Jesus' followers. And now he's he's preaching and he, as bold as can be. Now, look, he, he folded under the voice of the little girl. <laughs> That's right. That's amazing. Isn't but in, in the book of Acts, same as Paul. Mm. He is taking his 40 lashes or whatever, imprisoned, whatever, yeah. uh, and he he withstands every yeah, opposition right. and persecution what a for the sake of the gospel. And, and, and at one point, you even see them in prison, sitting there with almost certain execution the next day, sleeping. Angel has to come and wake this guy up. <laughs> and, and that wonderful passage <laughs> about, about. The, about the Philippian jailer, too, in Paul, where oh, yeah. uh, he cries out, what must I do to be saved? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a saying of an English bishop. I don't know which one was, but he's talking about his ministry, and he was talking about Paul's ministry. He says, uh, wherever Paul went, uh, he was imprisoned or got a lashing. Wherever I go, they serve me tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. I want to read a quotation here from uh, – actually, this comes from Doug Wilson on a blog that he has – I don't often visit that blog, but I liked uh, what he had to say about Pentecost. It's mm-hmm. it's worth reading. Uh, towards the end, he writes about non-Christians, and uh, this ties into the Great Commission. Listen to this. He says, The celebration of Pentecost reminds us of what we should see when we look out at the unbelieving world. 
What are non-Christians for exactly? Kind of a funny question. We should have the same feeling about that as a farmer has when he is looking at a field that is, quote, white unto harvest. When we call non-believers to repentance, we are not meddling or interfering. When we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to men, we have come to our place in the story. Christ was born, lived, died, rose, and ascended. He gave gifts to men. I really like the notion that um, we're not intending to meddle or interfere. We're just simply carrying out the command of our Lord to preach the good news, and we expect God to bless. That's what we're to do, is to spread the good news. That is not meddling. Meddling, that's telling the truth. It's uh, letting... uh, one it's it's one beggar letting another beggar know where there's bread. Right. One Englishman describing, and I'll go back to England again. I'm not English, by the way. You're Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not English. And uh, someone asked the, the, the evangelist, oh, what, what what is Christianity? And he says, it's just one beggar telling another where to find bread. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's simple. And yeah. it's through the power of the Spirit we do it. Amen. Yeah. Well, today we've been talking about Pentecost. We would invite your comments or questions. Um, Use our email address. It is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And just a really quick wrap-up thought. We've got about a minute left. Um, One of you fellas help us out there. I would just say when you look at Pentecost and think of the Holy Spirit, and it may have seemed like a small event then, but think of what has happened with the Christian church and how it has grown and how it has transformed the world to the better in so many ways. You see the power of the Holy Spirit just working many subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle ways, but always working. Mm. Well put. Today in the studio with me has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. I'm Dan Elmendorf. This entire broadcast is up as a podcast on our website. Please check it out. It's found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. A reminder to join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. The soul will long shall far outpass the power of human telling. For none can guess its grace till.